If you don't stop imagining these crazy things, I'll take you to a doctor to have you examined. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, suddenly, I have the feeling that uh, Suzanne and I are waiting for trick-or-treaters. <laughs> this is what we go through. Welcome to Manson Mitchell. This is what it's like for our Halloween. Typically, we may get three. That's a good night often one, and we just have this jack a plastic jack-o'-lantern filled with Mars bars and the three musketeers, and who winds up eating 90% of it? Me. <laughs> Our dentists love us. Glad to have you with us today. It's the day before Halloween. We have a good show planned, good times, but it's always a good time whenever we're in the good company of bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you today, Benny? Doing very well. Can you hear me now? Is it much better? I yes. can hear you, yes. Okay, sorry about the uh, start there. Uh, maybe we've got some gremlins in the uh, the works over here. I got to shake them out. Or some out. ghosts. Yeah, oh, even better. Perfect for today, ghosts. right? That's right. Well, it's about the ghost stories today, everybody. And we wanted to get someone who, in whose company we delight for that purpose because he is a chronicler and a raconteur of the first magnitude. And he's willing to come into the studio for better sound quality, I don't know if he has a flashlight turned on under his chin, but if he does it <laughs> at night around a campfire, he is in his element. This is the next best thing. I'm talking about our buddy Matt Shea. Suzanne, I'd like to give this guy his mad props in brief. There's a lot to say about Matt Shea. He considers himself a developing author. Now, he's multi-published. And yet he consider, considers himself, and I think this is what the best writers do, they look at themselves as a work in progress, a developing author. Kind of like a practicing doctor, huh? Yes, that's right. All right. He is greatly inspired by the writings of Andy Griffith and focuses on the common folk and the folk wisdom of which friendly and thriving small towns are made. But we know Matt from another context, another sphere he is a chronicler of haunted places in the Pacific Northwest and a popular raconteur. Storytelling is one of his big gigs. He does it on the radio and on internet programs around the country. He is a great guest for us and a great friend to Manson Mitchell. So let's say hello to Matt Shea once again. Happy Halloween, Matt. Gary, Suzanne, it is not Halloween without the Manson Mitchell team. <laughs> well, it's not, it's not Halloween without your great ghost stories, Matt, and <laughs> we are them. eager to hear about them today. I know you and Gary have discussed it, and Gary told me some of the stories that you were going to tell, and I said, that's wonderful. In your writing, do you focus in on the uh, the paranormal research and the ghosts, or is your, or is your writing cover a, a broad area, a broad spectrum? I love that question you asked. My early writings had a touch of it, a touch of that Rod Sterling stuff. And people would say, well, you're kind of lean towards the religious side, and that kind of doesn't mix. Well, it does, too, based on who you're talking about. I have done stories that strictly went to that side, but not an awful lot, predominantly a more of a Hallmark flavor. But I am working on a handful that deeply go that way. 
clean stuff for the family, however, none of this cult stuff. Okay. That's good. Very That's good. Fine by us. We have so many stories, and you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, that Matt Shea over-prepares. He gets so many stories that he knows that we cannot fill an hour, and that makes him rather like a storytelling astronaut. What do I mean by that? I found out in recent years that during the Apollo missions to the moon, they made sure to keep, keep those guys. They weren't there as tourists. So they sent the astronauts with a list of what was estimated to be 120% of what they thought could be accomplished in the allotted time on the surface of the moon. So as one, I forget, it might have been Edgar Mitchell, but one of the astronauts said, well, you'd stop for a second to just realize where you were at that moment. This was unlike anything you could possibly experience. And these were among the first humans to do it. But other than that, you had to get back to the list. You were gathering soil samples, et cetera, and you had to work your list. So you didn't have much time for tourism, but there were those shining moments when you thought, my God, I'm on the surface of the moon. And so they overprepared. And that's what Matt Shea does with his storytelling. He gets together a nice, tidy sum of stories, and then he adds one or two, and then he adds three more, and then he adds another couple. And it just gets to be so much that we go, this is great because we have a treasure trove. We can get into these stories, which we will do forthwith, knowing that there's always some for next time. That's one of the joys of having Matt with us. And Matt, I think you outdid yourself because of the quality of the stories. You and I kicked it around on the phone a few days ago, and here we are. You have some fantastic ones. They're of the eerie variety. They just they hint at something more, something beyond this life. And we're going to put you in storyteller mode from now through the end. We only have one break at the bottom of the hour. And then people can find out more about your writing and how to get in touch with you. That is de rigueur for Manson Mitchell. But when it's Halloween time and we have Matt Shea on, it's all about the stories. Why don't we start with one from Port Orchard? And you titled it Baby Doll Road. Now, that has Stephen King written all over it, just the title alone. That should be turned into a movie. Baby Doll Road. Why don't we begin there, Matt? Gary, did you see the picture I sent you when I took a picture of that sign that said Baby Doll Road? The reflective yes. sign, it was raining, it was almost midnight. Boy, did that send something up my back. It was forewarning me of what I was about to go through. This is at Port Orchard, the name Baby Doll. There's one of two theories behind it, one of which is that they believed long ago they had a doll manufacturer, a very popular one, and he set up shop in his home. But the other theory is that it had a little bit of Valley of the Dolls to it, if you know what I'm referring to. I do. But that's the history behind the name of the road. The road is greatly a sleepy hollow in its own right, and eerily, it measures precisely, because I've traveled it back and forth several times on different days and different nights, it measures exactly one mile going from one end to the other straight up. And it has sort of a wind to it. You have to take a few slight curves, but not sharp turns until the end of the road. And what I'm getting at is that you could drive down and stick your arm out and hit the mailboxes. And I mean that. That's how the Postal Service does it. They just do it from the window. Tragically, 
on Baby Doll Road. It was in 19, excuse me, it was December 17, 2013. There was a car accident where we lost two local teens. They even have a nice memorial set up for it. It's a beautiful memorial. Uh, people keep contributing to it. It has a cross, a candle, a shelf where you could put mementos there. And then just beyond it is a concrete barricade because they went through that and ended up against trees, which they've since taken out, so this never happens again, hopefully. The talk on that road is not only have we lost two teenagers, but in the 1980s, sadly, a schoolgirl never made it home. She was abducted. The few times I was paying homage to this memorial sign that they have for the two teens, locals would come out and talk to me, tell me what they knew about it. They would mention the two teens by name, and they would also mention the little girl that they never found again. Now, some time ago, somebody claims they were driving down the road, and people say they see shadows. People claim they see a young girl with long, dark hair walking by herself, and that she will sort of mist, dissipate. One man made it to the very end of the road, and this is the intersection of Baby Doll Road and Collins Road. It's essentially taking a 90-degree right once you hit the end of it. Well, he wanted to turn around in the dirt lot there to come back. And as he did, he momentarily stopped at that lot, just kind of thinking about things. He looked in the rearview mirror, and he described a young girl with dark coal eyes and straight dark hair, kind of like Wendy Adams, Wednesday Adams, excuse me, staring right at him from that passenger seat. He turned around. Nobody was there. He walked around the car, and then it dawned on him what was going on. He got in the vehicle and got off that road. Yeah, I think I would be getting off that road, too. I would, I'd find that pretty creepy to find a, a ghost in, in the car. Sure. Do I take it that they never found this girl's body? They have never found her. She's oh, missing, wow. okay. and oh, to even think of such a thing. But friends of the two teenagers who go to the memorial there, they say that they claim that sometimes they could hear them talking to them. And again, friends can get caught up emotional. Is it or is it not happening? But more than just a few friends from the class have made such comments, and they say that sometimes they would negotiate plans the way kids do after school, and they would meet at an old hangout, and they would swear up and down that they could hear the voice of their former friends. Mm. So the road has stories like that. Hmm. There's, there's another road that is haunted, though perhaps not similarly, because every place has stories of its own. Let us move on to the town of Bremerton. There is the famous or infamous Holland Road, and I'm sure our listeners would like to hear what eerie happenings occur there. Holland Road terrified me because that was my next stop. My first stop was several visits to Baby Doll. Holland is in the neighboring town of Bremerton. It, too, is a type of sleepy, hollow, windy road with its share of skid marks. And like Baby Doll, the postman can deliver to the mailboxes from his driver's seat. 
they're right up against the, the boundary lines of the road. And sadly, a man who'd come home from work was hit by a vehicle. And to this day, there are claims of seeing something of that effect spiritually around that area where the incident took place. It is referred to as the Ghost Road and something else that happened long ago, early in its history. A little girl was riding a horse. A drunk driver hit the horse, killing the girl. And he and his friends buried her, denying of anything ever happening. Oh, oh my gosh. They kept interrogating him because they knew he was the guy, and I believe he died within a few months. The house the little girl was raised in is on that road. And when her parents passed, the new owners kept saying that there was a multitude of spiritual signs that she was around, not just in the house, but out in the front street. The house has since been demolished. It's just a lot now. But to this day, people say they see a little girl walking around there, and they wonder if that's who it is. They haven't seen the horse, but they've seen her, and then it would do dissipate. It would walk. It would slowly fade, but they knew what they saw momentarily. You know, when I think about these various places, sometimes I wonder how many there must be in Washington State, in Oregon as well, in the PNW. It's forested. It's lush. But it's also dark and it's rainy and it's misty. I mean, it's, it seems like the place was built for haunting, you know. And I will drive sometimes as just one example. I can remember when I lived there one night, I got myself lost for a few minutes. I got turned around and everything was okay. But there it was in Black Diamond. And in wintertime, Black Diamond has its share of black ice too. But I would drive through there, lovely homes. And it's beautifully wooded, lovely place. But man, it can be spooky. When that fog is rolling in or when it's rainy, not a good place to get lost, that's uh, for sure, little, because at least in the patch of Black Diamond where I was driving around, there wasn't much commercial activity. Lovely homes, but not a lot of commerciality. And so I thought, man, I just wouldn't want to get stuck out here. And when you look at those woods, there are many countless places throughout Puget Sound where there are secretive woods. There, is there an entrance? Is there an easy exit to find? What if I were caught uh, walking through here at night? I don't know what I would be doing there, but let's say I was there. I have often sort of teased my own mind by saying how many bodies could be buried there. In Las Vegas, it was out in the desert, plenty of desert around, right, right. you know, and, they, and we know that there are lots of bodies that probably will never be found or they've been dug up by animals or something. But out in those woods in the Pacific Northwest and with the history of serial killers, let's be honest there, with that being a factor of regional history, I've often wondered how easy it would be to take a body out there and perhaps it wouldn't even be found until the person, the, the perpetrator was dead or many, many years later when if law enforcement catches a break, they bring the culprit to justice. It, it evokes that sort of uh, image in my mind when I hear you tell these stories because it seems like a place that is primed for it. Most definitely. And when you speak of Black Diamond, the Black Diamond Cemetery has made every top 10 list 
of Washington State haunted cemeteries. And I've been there a few times, and boy, you certainly get that feel to it. I never had that any notion that they had a cemetery that was known for those stories. All those years I lived there, I never heard that. Oh, yes, it's well written on the Internet, and it's made many lists of haunted cemeteries in the state of Washington. And is there, are there one or two stories that stand out for you in that location? One of which is that they've had mine workers who were lost their lives in a mining accident, and at night, supposedly, from their grave sites, they could see be seen walking around dressed as miners, and there is one about a reoccurring white horse, whatever that means, that it's been written up several times, and then they realized it wasn't an animal on our side of the fence. Say that again. There they, was, they were writing about what, and it wasn't there? Oh, they, there are those that reported seeing the ghost of a white horse. A white horse, okay. Yes, oh. and they do not know the story behind that, but they would clearly see it then they yeah. would realize it wasn't running off to a pasture. It would dissipate, but it wow. caught their attention long enough. And then, as I mentioned, the graves of miners, they have been seen lurking, going about their business in that area because they were buried there from, from mining accidents years ago. You know, one of the things that you said that really caught my attention was about the house that got torn down and you can really understand when there has been some activity in a house, uh, some kind of accident, death, you know, whatever it might be, that you feel like all that energy is in and around the house. And so let's just take this house down. So then they dismantle the house and they throw it away. But it seems like the ghosts still hang into those areas where the houses used to be. Don't you find that in your research, that just taking down the physical structure doesn't mean you're going to get rid of the, the uh, paranormal activity? I agree, because they're on a different frequency now. They are still in that general area. I wanted to talk to you. This is a good time to do it, too, Matt. Before we get to our break, I wanted you to... Take your time and tell us a little bit about your methodology. I don't know how equipped you are in terms of the technology. You take good notes, and you seem to be very friendly toward people who thus open up to you and tell their stories, personal, or they relate the lore of the region. But I'm curious to know, are you, are you more of a, a newspaper reporter, like an investigative type reporter? Are you sort of a Columbo? Where do you fit on that spectrum of paranormal researchers? Because you sure seem to be a guy who does his homework. I cover both ends of the spectrum. We love conversation, and it's fun to get into a gutsy, I dare you type of conversation, such as this topic. And so the truck drivers I dealt with as a teamster, I was one for 32 years, if they liked you, they had a couple stories from the towns they come from. Uh, the house I'm living at right now, they have a history there of some things that have happened. You meet people, and they will send you one place to another. The other day, I was in the northern part of Washington, and I was talking to someone, and I say, I have done shows to honor the paranormal. Oh, well, then you want to go to this place because... And then I would look it up, and it would confirm what I was just told by a local. And so I go both ways. At night, I will just look up towns, and then eventually historical reference will be brought up. 
then I'll prod deeper, and then something will be mentioned in that effect. And so now I got to prod deeper. And these people do open up to you. I found that there are those who just they just as soon avoid the topic altogether. They think it's silly. But there are those when I just get into casual conversation, it might be ghosts one day, UFOs the next. I, I have that natural bent of curiosity. And when I get talking to certain people, they want to go into detail. And if they have a personal story, many times they can't wait to share it as long as they entrust the story to you and feel that they can trust you because nobody wants to be made fun of there. But if they think that you are going to keep an open mind, they will tell you things that they just don't discuss openly. That's fact. That is fact, although it depends who you're dealing with because they're afraid they'll get mocked. They're afraid it's a sign of weakness. But again, when you're having conversation in time, something in that area comes out. Somebody introduces that card, and then you build on it a bit. Uh, most of the stuff that I found out about, I didn't ask. They volunteered it, and they, I expressed interest, so we elaborated on it further. And then I could cross that line where I could actually visit, do my share of research, and now I've, now I've got lightning in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle. Catching lightning in a bottle. All I right. Like I don't hear that one very often. It also uh, abets our storytelling here. Very nicely done, Matt. <laughs> we have time for one more story before we get to our break. Hope that our, the folks are enjoying these stories because they are of the PNW. And um, Suzanne and I certainly resonate with that. Can't wait to get back there. Oi, all this stuff that's going on. Uh, but I digress. I hope that uh, the numbers go back down and you know what I mean. And we reach a, a degree of safety where people can venture out and across the country because uh, we're missing us some Western Washington. Missing Benny in the studio, as a matter of fact. Aww. So instead, we're here on the day before Halloween telling stories. But I wanted to. Now, you worked uh, 32 years, you said, as a Teamster. Uh, boy, that, there's a whole show right there. But at what point. Did you have a job down in Tukwila? I believe you were a driver and you encountered some people with stories of their own to tell in the city of Tukwila, where I once lived. I retired in 2010 to volunteer for seniors, which I still do, to write books and to do what I could to get on radio shows. And I'm three for three on that. I lived in Tukwila for quite a while. And at South Center, we had the Home to Suites Inn by Hilton. And it's painted a beautiful Seahawk blue because they're honoring the team. I'd worked there a year and a half. You get a guy my age who has got the gray hair and he's wearing the three-piece suit. People assume you're the manager. Well, I'd be working all shifts. Sometimes I'm there late at night. And this is what happened continuously. A guest would come up to me. Their eyes are huge. They're terrified. They're whispering really loud, and they asked me if I'm the manager, and I said, well, I'm part of the team. I put it that way. Did you know this place is haunted? And I play dumb. Why, what are you talking about? I've only known this to happen to female guests and employees, but on the first floor, while they're walking down the hall, and this usually happens past midnight, probably right around 1 o'clock, 12.30, 3 o'clock, something like that, something brushes against them very hard to the point where they're getting nudged, but they're also started, startled, excuse me, so they lose balance. It was not a violent blow, 
but it was more than just a graze. And they would look around, and something did it, and nothing is there. I've had guests come up to me, and they would point at opposite ends of the first floor. I had friends I worked with, and they said, well, Matt, it finally happened to me. I was just leaving the elevator, walking to the gym, and it finally got me, whoever it is. The last time that I was visiting the hotel, and this is with my friend Diane, because Diane used to work there, and she was one of the victims who's got the nudging, the bumping. We're talking to our friends at the front desk, and they say it's expanded. We do get this incredible cold chill that has nothing to do with air conditioning, and sometimes there is a voice in that flow. We've had voices whisper out loud, ask for specific names of employees, where are they? And they would either say, I don't know, or they're in the kitchen. So it's escalated. And I've had probably seven or eight different women come up to me who were guests, people who came in for a few hours because they had to catch an early flight, and they would come right up to me to report the incident. And again, I didn't want to alarm anyone. I'd play dumb about it. What are you talking about? There's a lot of talk about it. <laughs> That's a great story. I'm not sure if we went into that place, Gary, but we were looking around for a place to stay in Tukwila. It was around seafair time when we made a trip. It, you know, couldn't get a room for love nor money. No, it didn't work out. But <laughs> we went to quite a few places looking. That might have been one of them. And I think hotels, Matt, I'm sure you'll agree, hotels are great places to look for paranormal activity because people will make the bulk of their careers there. Maybe they're a housekeeper. Maybe they're in the uh, they're one of the concierges. Maybe they're the manager. Maybe they're the owner or guests who sometimes meet a tragic fate. And there are hotels all over the country with these stories to tell. Yes, and along with that, did an individual just happen to enter the building and that's where it came from? We can't put our finger on it. We do not know of any tragedy affiliated with the building or the property, but we've had so many come and go over the past. The hotel is roughly 25 years old, I'll take a guess. It's considered new, and it's fun. It's beautiful. It's festive. Great people there. But we got these stories attached to it, many reports. That is pretty bizarre. For a place 25 years old? Yeah. That's amazing. Well, you know, it's interesting, Matt. You said that the um, the ghost or the entity may have actually come in with somebody. And we've heard of that, too, talking with various people, that sometimes you just get something attached to you. And, and so you have to, uh, you know, get that unattached or else you're walking around with another energy attached to your energy. When I was a little boy, a neighbor of mine, a friend, he told us that the, their house was haunted, but the parents confirmed it. They said it is. And I asked what happened. They said, we think somebody brought it in. He probably had the wrong playmate come over to play one afternoon. So they considered that as a possibility. Yeah, I've heard of that. Let's go ahead and take our break. Plenty more stories to share, and we'll let you know how you can get up close and personal with Matt Shea. He's a busy guy in his retirement. Hard to think of him as retired, actually. He has so much going on. We are Manson Mitchell. It's the day before Halloween, and we're having fun sharing ghost stories. Glad you are with us. Give us a couple of minutes. We'll be right back here at the haunting capital of Seattle Radio, AM 1150. 
preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. Some may see a sprinter. At the NFHS, we see a future leader already off to the races. Some may see a volleyball player. Good hit! Way to go, girl! At the NFHS, we see a spike in confidence that will help her achieve her potential. What else do we see? Musicians learning to march to their own beat. We're the NFHS, the national leader and advocate for high school athletics and activities in America, helping today's teenagers develop the skills they need to become tomorrow's leaders. And we see it happening in communities across Washington every single day. Learn more about the NFHS commitment to youth at NFHS.org. This message presented by the NFHS, the National Federation of State High School Associations. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Matt Shea, who chronicles the haunted history of the PNW. He's on hand Halloween Eve with great ghost stories. On Saturday, we are hosting a virtual Halloween party, so put on your costume and dancing shoes as we play DJs for a day. Bringing you fascinating talk one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150KKNW. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. We're kind of doing Ghostbusters today. We have our own Ghostbuster here, Matt Shea. It's so old and it's been done to death, pardon the pun. I but know. What are you going to do? Come up with something better. It's, it's, it's perfect for today. It is perfect for today. Matt, if people would like to know about your, your website, your books, or any other information that you would like to share, please let our listeners know now. Sure. It is mattsheabooks.net, M-A-T-T. S-H-E-A, books.net. And when you bring up the site, the first page, we have got a free audiobook for you, and it's for the family, the grandparents, the children. It'll set well with them. It's a lot of fun. And I also have some free stories on it. And you go through the site. I have a lot of samples, radio interviews, and I have some Mats and Mitchell on it, too. you got to find it, but it's there. 
<laughs> you have to dig deep in the very vault. Very good, very good. Well, thank you. And that's mattshaybooks.net. So thank you for that. Excellent. More, more stories, Gary. Yes. Fred Meyer, Auburn. What can you tell us, Matt? Well, living in Tukwila, I'm just down the street from Auburn. Auburn used to be named the town Slaughter because a lieutenant Slaughter was killed in an Indian battle, and so they honored the man. But Slaughter sound kind of funny. People from Auburn, New York, were starting to migrate there, and so they tactfully changed the name so it would be a little more sophisticated. So they went with that. Now, the Fred Meyer... I was looking up Auburn hauntings, and they brought up the Fred Meyer, and I never knew of one of those to get it. So I read up on it, and it was unbelievable. It's predominantly the shoe department and the storage room next to it. Well, the next best thing, within about 15 minutes, I'm inside the store. I walk up to the first employee I see, and I said, excuse me, my name is Matt, and da-da-da-da-da, and is there any type of spiritual activity? Oh, you mean the shoe department? You mean the storage? Oh, yeah. And she started saying, J just go there. So I go to the shoe department, and I asked the teller there, and her and others came forth, and they had an awful lot of stories. They said that on the surveillance camera, they would see the figure of a woman setting up displays, moving them. During the daylight hours, they'll see signs move, things like that. Upstairs, they would hear footprints and things moving when nobody's there, or the employees I spoke to said, as a rule, they'll never go up there alone. They've opened the door upstairs to hear a blood-curling, eerie scream, just a horrible scream, close that door. But they say there's even more. Throughout the store, they would see Native American figures. They would see the spirits of Native American. Now, here's the catch. Directly across the street, they have the Pioneer Cemetery there. The Pioneer Cemetery opened in the 1860s. Initially, it was just the Fawcett family's burial ground. And then in 1878, they opened it for the public. A lot of people have been buried there and removed there, and people from other cemeteries were exhumed to be placed there. A lot of things have happened, including a tragedy that happened in 1937 on Valentine's Day when a man got his wife and four kids sedated with sleeping pills, and then he killed them, and he buried them in the backyard, and then they found him years later in California where he finished out his life in prison, and they had since buried them across the street in the Piner Cemetery. And then I was talking to one of the managers, and they said there's a little more to it than that. We were told that part of the cemetery, if not all of it, used to be where the store is standing, and that some or all of it was moved. And regardless, by the way, these are Indian burial grounds. And we know what happens when you fidget with that. Yes, we do. Uh, it might be cultural, too, don't you think, yeah. Suzanne? Because I mean, you've made the comment when there are people who uh, occupy a space dedicated to a spiritual purpose and things go wrong and people are fighting, Suzanne's go-to remark is, I think it's, it's uh, existing on top of an old Indian burial ground. Well, that would be such a highly spiritual place for Native Americans you know, something they have, um, you know, prayed over and done lots of ritual over, and they, 
They put the bodies of their their people there with a great deal of ceremony. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're just uh, dug up willy-nilly to put a store there. And, and I think that um, that does cause those spirits to be um, unrested. Yes. It wakes, the, it wakes them up. Well, yes, and, uh, Lieutenant yeah. Slaughter, he lost his life in that area. They use the term skirmish. But it was a, a, a war with the Indians because we were invading. That is their territory. And so initially he was honored. He shouldn't be. It should have been the Native American. Yeah. You know, the, the, it, the most interesting um, similar kind of situation was when we went to um, the, uh, the battle at Bull Run. Is that the one I'm thinking of? No, uh, no, 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 no. We're talking about in Montana. In Montana, that's right. That's right, Custer's Last Stand. Right, and so you, in Custer's Last Stand, you had, you know, this terrible, terrible battle, and they have left all the markers where the people actually died. That so, doesn't mean that the bodies are there. No, but, but they, the markers they are dotted there. that all, right. all over that area so you could see the, the wide range of, of area that they died in. Where these warriors fell, soldiers and warriors alike, where they fell. Right. It's a great way to memorialize them, too. And also, it's a tableau of history. Mm-hmm. Look at over here. Look at all the bodies that, that were, have, were retrieved from this spot over here, and you'll see one or two, and then you see several yes. from place to place. And, and in that in that area, in that whole um, Custer's Last Stand area, you cross over through uh, Native American territory, and there's a sign that says you are entering Native American lands and something like, you know, don't leave your car, something like that. And so you go in and out of somebody else's property while you're you're surveying that. But there are plenty of places where you can get out and walk around, and and um, and and see all these markers. And when we were there, the you know the wind was blowing. We could get a sense of what the people were like who actually lived on that land because. It's not buildings and gas stations and fast food joints. Purposely so, it, thank it goodness. It's just, you know, miles and miles of land. And it's it's actually beautiful. And I can see where it's sacred, too. So, you know, where you, where you have sacred land, you don't, the people who have been on that land really would prefer you not disturb it. And I can understand that. Yes, yes culturally, it does make sense to me. And of course, we're talking about the Battle of the Little Bighorn in Montana. It's, it's an amazing there. place. I recommend to anyone, if you haven't been there and you're in the Seattle area, you're talking. You're not talking about just a long weekend, but if you're on vacation, you're going along the northern tier of states, please go there. It's it's so rich with history, but it's a mournful history. They and show... You go in, yeah, so you go show, in there with curiosity and you leave with deep respect. They show that area where the 7th Cavalry had lost to the Native American because I believe it was three different tribes, and they're all marked, and then one of them is marked independently, George Custer. Yes, yes. 
and there is a memorial cemetery there before you get to the battle site, actually, when you go to the headquarters. And there's a wonderful interpretive film there that doesn't last too long. I don't know what, maybe 20 minutes or so, but you learn a lot. And lots of artifacts, too. Yes. You could spend hours just looking at all of the artifacts. And there's an automobile loop. So you take an auto tour and it becomes self-guided and wherever there are places where you can stop your car, you can get out and read the markers and just gaze upon the scene where there was so much tragic death and destruction. And I don't know about ghost stories there. I don't recall hearing any. We've made two visits. We didn't there. ask. Yeah. And didn't ask, but uh, it's hard to believe that there wouldn't be spirits still roaming those we'll fields. have to send Matt Shea over there. Well, I get the story. He will get the story for us. That is for sure. I love it. I was watching a documentary of the Navajo Indians, and they said our ancestors, they're still here. They're still around. They're just on a different frequency. And every so often, they remind us they're here with us. And, oh, what a concept. I agree. I cannot argue with that. Back in Washington State, I wanted to allow for some time, Matt, so that you can tell us about what must be one of the spookier towns in the Pacific Northwest. We're talking about Coopville, Washington. Wow, do they have the history. Gary, I owe you one. When you and I discussed Coopville, and I've been there before, I didn't realize that they celebrate the entire month of October for Halloween. And they call it the haunting of Coopville, and they have what's called Scary Crow Trail, and you have to go to the chamber office or the library to get maps for it because they have what they call the Silent Sentinels, and I think these are the adults that man your post because you're going to different displays and so forth. They have pumpkin paint, excuse me, pumpkin painting contests. They have people vote on the displays that you've done on your front yard or in lots. They even have a Halloween torchlight parade on October 31st. The whole town's into it, but it's something that Norman Rockwell and Charles Adams would play with. It's not this horrible, bad movie stuff that brought out the wrong element. This is America. We're talking about caramel apples and things like that. Everybody's happy. Corn stalks, pumpkin patches, corn mazes. They have it all, and it's for the entire month. And every street post had something like a scarecrow on it or jack-o'-lanterns. It was Halloween the way it was meant to be, the way they had it 150 years ago. Well, first of all, let me stop you, Matt. You're the first person I've ever known who could use the names Norman Rockwell and Charles Adams in the same sentence. So congratulations for that. How you go, wow. <laughs> That's, that boggles my mind. That's like cognitive dissonance there. And good for you. There are so many places I hardly know where to begin, but I guess I'm inclined to say, Matt, why don't you tell us about a famous, certainly regionally famous, military installation and its haunted history. It is Fort Casey that was built in 1901. And Fort Casey is one of three forts that outline an inlet because they have neighboring inlet across the water and an island that also have forts. That is Fort Flagger and Fort Warden. And together they were to protect that part of the sound so enemy ships could not make it in. Fort Casey, in time, they replaced their cannons from Civil War cannons. The pictures I sent you 
they had actual bullet marks on these cannons because they were in Civil War battles. They were brought up from the South just to refit it as a park. Unbelievable. I have dealt with paranormal societies there, and they say that they would see such veterans, their ghosts, their outlines, whatever, nightfall, manning their pulse, walking back and forth, looking, but in a military fashion and a military outfit, say going back to World War I, if not earlier. Throughout Fort Casey, they have got bunkers there. They have got these concrete uh, tunnels that you could go in that are pitch black. you got to bring a flashlight. Many people have claimed that they thought somebody was holding their hand until they got out, they saw who they were with. They're not standing by someone. They're looking, and they cannot see anyone, but they felt a hand. They had to shake it loose. That is a common report there. Hearing voices, hearing scratching sounds in those tunnels, people calling out to you, and, of course, the shadows, and thinking that was your friend's shadow when you walk around one of these bunkers and nobody is there. That is very common. The Afs also had the Admiralty Head Lighthouse that was built in the late, teen, late 1800s and then rebuilt in the early 1900s. There was a little boy who went out in rough waters, and unfortunately we lost him, and there's talk about him. On top of the lighthouse, many people have pointed out an old woman from last century that they have seen her many times. In the lighthouse the shadows, and sometimes the orbs, the lights. They can't quite put their finger on it. Just absolutely amazing. And you can camp there, too. It is fun to camp at Fort Casey, to walk around those bunkers at night, to look over those cannons and look at the bay they're protecting. And so that is the military aspect of it. What about in and around town? Uh, privately owned houses. There's got to be a haunted hotel or two. <laughs> Well, they have a lot of haunting there, and they're very open about it, and one of which is they have the Navy Exchange Building, which is still in operation. It's not a Navy base, the seaplane base. They call this one the Lurker because it is a man who has been known to chase janitors, is known to be seen and kind of intimidate you, lunge at you, then disappear. They saw him in the children's department, and then later when they came back, clothes were neatly arranged, but they were on the floor, and they don't know who else did it because it was empty all that time. So they get stories like that there. And then we have the Holler House. The Holler House was built in the 1800s. How I learned about the Holler House is when I was at Fort Casey, I called out to people and asked them what they knew about the fort and then about Coopville's celebration of Halloween. And then I dug in a bit. Is there any haunted places? Oh, you want to go to the Holler House? Just go down Main to Front Street. It's the only one on the corner. The Holler House is known to be a great haunting because when I pulled up there, I saw a couple with a baby carriage. And I asked, excuse me, do you know anything about this house? And I pointed at it. And their response was, you mean that haunted house? What could you tell me about it? Well, they give ghost tours on it. Not this year. They're fixing up the house. It's up on crates. They're redoing the foundation because it's a landmark. 
but they say when they went in the house on a tour and they had their baby, the baby got so excited screaming, detect something wrong, that they trusted the baby's soul, the baby's instinct, the pureness, and left immediately. Later that day, when I pointed at the house and asked somebody, same thing. Oh, that's haunted, and they started telling me about it. The Haller family lived there for approximately 10 years, and then for the next 50 years, it was a sort of boarding house for many, people coming and going. And they say right there they probably have a tremendous amount of spirits that just ended up there because of the many families, many people who were raised there. Now, do you recall that picture I gave you, Gary, that showed that outline of a ghost when they were doing a little Halloween festival there a couple years ago? Yes, I didn't make it out all that clearly, though. Well, there it was. They're having their jack-o'-lanterns, their people in costumes, and then they have that partially faded in the background, and they say this is common. They say things like that. And again, it was word of mouth. I've had three different groups of people give that house by name and twice pointing right at it and forewarning me that I should know that it is a famous haunting. There is a cemetery with a marker. You sent me a picture of that, and I thought to mention it. it you referred to the person buried there as a celebrity, though it, they actually <laughs> were on the spot during a very tragic moment in history. I believe what you wrote to me was that uh, this gentleman was the first to provide aid of any sort to President Kennedy when yes. he was assassinated? Yes. His name is Charles Carreco, I believe that's how it is. And he was born 1935 and buried there in 2002. Now, this is in the Sunnyside Cemetery that was established in 1865. And when you go to the old entrance, you're going to see names that match the streets lead, leading there. Well, what they have done was taken bodies that were from other grave sites, and I think even from Europe, and brought them in to be buried in America. And one that I found, and I took many pictures of it, showed it to people using different light on it, it said the man lived to be 88 years old, and he was born in 1808. Now, that's correct. We're talking 1710, excuse me, 1720, 100 years after the Pilgrims, well before 1776. What a find that is. Getting back to Dr. James Carrico, I believe that's his name, he happened to be in Dallas as a surgeon and JFK was brought in, he was shot, and he was the first to administer him. The man was still alive, and then government people came in that took over, but he stayed in that room. He stayed assisting every way he could until we lost our president. He's buried there. He's their local celebrity, I would say. I don't see anything on the headstone to indicate that, and I don't suppose you would. How did you acquire that information? Well, when I looked up the cemetery, because I was trying to find out about the person who I believe was born in 1808, they started bringing up artifacts about settlers, which ones were there, and then they brought him up and what significance he was in American history. And so November 27, 1963, he was doing everything he could 
to save our president. Mm. There's one other place. We only have about two minutes, so we'll have to make it quick. But if somebody says, hey, I'd like to see the haunted Ann Starrett house, where would they go? The Ann Starrett house is in Port Townsend, and that house has a grand spiral staircase made out of wood in the entryway that goes up four floors. That house, when I went there, I was talking to the owner, and she says, I've lived here many years. I lived on the top floor. I've never seen anything, but there's certainly a lot of talk. She says there's a mother and daughter team who stayed here last night, and they're talking. Well, I caught up with them, and they said on the stairwell, and this is the common report, they saw a woman from the 1800s looking back down at them, kind of like surveying to see who's entering the home. In this mansion, they say that a lot of the help is still there, a lot of the nannies and butlers. And some of the things that happen is if you leave a room, Sometimes a light switch will throw down by itself because you forgot to turn it off. If <laughs> someone's being a little inappropriate, they say a pitcher will lift itself off a wall and drop to get your attention, a watch it buddy sort of thing. Victorian they, manners. Exactly. That is it exactly. And they say they see the shadows, they see the lights, and they see things move in the kitchen and stuff. But this is very common and when Halloween comes up, you cannot get a room there. As you and I know, Port Townsend is renowned for many haunted colonial homes, and the Ann Starrett Mansion rates with the best of them. Uh, it was, and, of course, Manresa Castle, which we have talked about on this show before. Matt, I can't thank you enough. Once again, you are a great raconteur, a chronicler of the paranormal, and we can't wait to talk to you again. Oh, thank you. I'll say it again. It's not Halloween without you and Suzanne. There we go. I'm the jack-o'-lantern on your front porch. <laughs> I must be a big pumpkin. Yes, you are. A sweet pumpkin. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Benny. Great job at the board. And coming up next. Jupiter rising. No, that's tomorrow. Oh, 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 my <laughs> gosh. I'm on the wrong day. Altogether. The Christine, Christine Upchurch, Upchurch Show. show yeah. Followed by the Susan Harmon Experience. Followed by... Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. Fantastic. Do I have it right this time now? Beautiful. Okay. Have yourselves a great Halloween, everyone.